Dear friends in Jesus Christ, during this season of Advent, let's learn how to easily benefit from the Bible. I'm hoping that all of you have been using our Advent Christmas booklet, using it day by day. I hope all of you brought it tonight. How many of you have it? Okay, many of you do, great. So please keep working your way through it. You'll notice in the booklet that each day I'm asking you to do some reading, some thinking, some answering, and some praying. For each day, it should only take you probably less than five minutes to be able to go through all of that. It's not much when you think about the number of minutes in a 24-hour day, and yet I think it can be a beneficial exercise. I'm also trying to get you into that routine. So when you're reading the Bible, don't just read it, but take time to think about it. And then as you're thinking about it, formulate your own questions and ask questions about what the meaning of the text is, and then go back and pray it back to God. That's always a safe way to pray, is to take the Word of God and pray it back to Him. Today, our focus is on what I might call some basic teachings of the Bible. We might call them foundational teachings. And then in the weeks ahead here at Bethlehem, we're going to look at some Old Testament passages that are pointing to the coming of the Messiah. Then we're going to look at some gospel passages that help us understand about Jesus' identity and also the many special events surrounding his birth. After that, we're going to take a look at some epistle passages that are pointing to the eternal benefits that we have through our Lord Jesus Christ when we have that God-worked sorrow for sin and that God-worked gift of faith by which we are trusting in Jesus. Thinking about the booklet, I encourage you to bring it every week, use it every day, and I hope that God will give us some great blessings during this season of Advent and also the upcoming season of Christmas. We are going to do a little bit of repetition, but we know that repetition is the mother of learning, so hopefully by going over things more than once, that's going to be helpful for all of us but I'm not gonna just rehash what's in the booklet. We're gonna go deeper than what we have in the booklet to gain even a greater understanding. So I'm so glad that all of you are here in order to go through this with me. Our first topic in the booklet is the topic of creation. Going to the first book of the Bible, Genesis chapter one, verse one, the Bible says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Jumping ahead to verse 26 in the same chapter, then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. And then jumping to the end of that same chapter, God saw all that he had made and behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. That's what I hope you read just a few days ago. I hope you gave it some thought, and I hope you found it real easy to answer my questions. Let's take a look at them here. First of all, who created? Well, the simple answer is God. He is the one who created, but we can go into a lot more detail. Let's do a little bit of that now. So the word God is the Hebrew word Elohim. When we think about Elohim, that is a plural noun, kind of odd. 
That's a plural noun, so that is pointing us toward the Holy Trinity. When we think about creation, in many respects we could say Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, they work together in order to create all things. And what about with our salvation? Again, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, they work together in order to save us. A beautiful parallel between creation and salvation. Now with Elohim, that doesn't just appear in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, but Elohim, that Hebrew word appears 32 times in chapter 1. So it is a very popular word, a very important word, emphasizing over and over and over again that God is the creator. Thinking about the world that we live in today, what has been taught in the public schools in America since 1987? What has been taught since then? It has been taught that evolution is why we exist today. What is the typical teaching today? People would say that we evolved. We evolved by random chance. It happened from a big bang that occurred about 13 billion years ago. So they would say there is no God, there is no purpose for life, there is no eternity. That is what has been indoctrinated into the hearts and minds of public school children for the last 36 years. We should understand that's what we have in America today, and that's why many young people don't think much about God. Why should they? They've been taught there is no God. However, though, let's understand the Word of God is completely different, not only referencing God 32 times in the very first chapter of the Bible, but then referencing creation hundreds of times as we move through the rest of the Bible. A very common, a very important theme. I hope that all of us are always believing the Bible over popular opinion. And then I ask the next question here, how were the people like God? Well, from the text we can tell that they were made in God's image and God's likeness. What does that mean? That's a little bit difficult to figure out, I think, but let's talk about it just a little bit further here. Thinking about the image of God, when we think about God, God has dominion over all things. What did God do after he made Adam and Eve? He gave them dominion over all the living creatures that he had made. So we can see the similarity between God and the people he made. And what about them being in the likeness of God? Well, when we think about God, of course, he is holy. God is able to reason. God is able to exercise free will. What did he do when he made the people? He made them holy without sin. He gave them the ability to reason. He gave them the ability to exercise free will. Those are some of the ways that we can match up between God and the people that he made. And then I ask here, over what period of time did God create? It's over six days because the Bible tells us it was on the sixth day that God completed his work of creation. 
Even though many today reject a six-day creation, the Bible is clear that that is what he has done. So I would encourage all of us to embrace what the Bible says, even when it's not popular, even when it doesn't make sense. Let's always know the Bible is true. The Bible is the very word of God. And then how can we apply the content of what we had here on day one in the booklet to ourselves. Well, there's a lot of different ways to do that, but the way I thought about it, I thought about how clear it is in the Bible that God is a creator. So I am more determined than ever that I don't care how many people say something different. I don't care how much I see in the newspaper. I don't care how much I see online. I don't care what people are going to say. I'm always going to hang on to what the Bible says, that God is the creator. Nothing is going to convince me otherwise. Maybe that's a foolish position to take, but that's my position. I would encourage you to think about taking the very same one. Going on to day two then, we come to the topics here of warning, temptation, and fall. We jump now to Genesis chapter 2, picking up in verse 16. The Lord God commanded the man, saying, From any tree of the garden you may eat freely, but from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat from it you will surely die. And then going on to chapter 3, verse 1, The serpent said to the woman, Indeed, has God said, you shall not eat from any tree of the garden. And then jumping to verse 6. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took from its fruit and ate. And she gave also to her husband with her and he ate. So it was such a simple thing that happened. And just try to get a glimpse of all the horrible things that have come into the world because those first people disobeyed the Almighty God. Well, going on to what I put in the booklet there, I just made the comment in the booklet that God gave a very clear command and a very definite consequence. God did not make it vague at all. It was such a simple command, so clear, that one particular tree, don't eat from it, but if you do, on that day, you will surely die. We have to keep in mind here that when God made Adam and Eve, they were different than when we were conceived and born. Adam and Eve, God made them alive in two ways. They were alive physically, and they were alive spiritually. When we say they were alive spiritually, that meant that they were in relationship with the Almighty God. What happened when they ate from the tree? Spiritually, they died immediately, so they severed their relationship with God. Physically, they died eventually, not right away. Thinking about the serpent, Did the serpent tempt the woman to doubt God's word? In fact, he did. He said to the woman, indeed, has God said? So God said it, but now the serpent is asking her, 
has God said? Like, did he really say it? What did he really mean by that? Isn't that what's going on in the world today? So many people have gone so far away from what the Bible says because the devil continues to be at work, not only the devil, but all the forces of evil, all the evil people living in the world, and even our own sinful natures are working upon us to get us to doubt the very word of God. If we ever find ourselves in the majority in the world, we can almost be certain we are in the wrong place. We are in a very small minority who actually believe the Bible to be true. That is the place to be. What about some reasons why Eve would eat the forbidden fruit? Well, I made it so easy for you. I even underlined it right there in the text. So what does it say? The woman saw that the tree was good for food, a delight to the eyes, desirable to make one wise. What else could we say though about it? How else can we describe what she did here? Well, I think in general, she took her human reasoning and she put it above the word of God. In other words, she took a look at the fruit and she said to herself, it looks good. I have a desire for it. It's going to make me wise. It's going to make me more like God. So I think God would even want me to eat from it. Even though he said no, based on my way of looking at it, I think he would want me to eat the fruit. And then how can we apply this? Thinking about what it said here, what God had done, think about having a fence. So God has set boundaries and inside this boundary, God has said, hey, you have freedom inside this boundary. In a sense, what did God say to Adam and Eve? He said, hey, you've got this whole beautiful garden of Eden. You can eat from any tree in the whole garden. Just don't eat from that one tree. He gave them all this freedom. He's giving us great freedom too, to live according to his word. But he's also telling us that if we wanna jump the fence and go outside of the boundary, that is not going to turn out well. That's what Adam and Eve chose to do. They jumped the fence, they thought it makes sense to us, we think it's gonna work out okay, and it brought disaster. God wants us to know the very same things in our lives, so the Holy Spirit is calling us to know the Bible better, and then to seek to honor our great God by following what the Bible says, by remaining inside the boundaries that God has established. And then going on to day three, we come to the topics here of curse, promise, and even a little bit of hint of victory. Even though that's a ways off yet, we have a hint of it right here. So we're in Genesis chapter 3, a very important chapter. So we continue now with verses 14 and 15. The Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you more than all cattle and more than every beast of the field. On your belly you will go and dust you will eat all the days of your life. So the Lord said those words to the serpent itself, but now he continues and now he's addressing Satan who is possessing the serpent. So to the devil he said, 
I will put enmity, that is hostility, between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise you on the head and you shall bruise him on the heel. And then we jump ahead to 1 John chapter 3, verse 8. The Son of God appeared for this purpose to destroy the works of the devil. Thank God for that, to destroy the works of the devil. So let's try to figure this out a little bit here. So the serpent permitted Satan to possess him. That's the way I understand it. It all fits together if we look at it in that way. So the Lord told the serpent how he would be cursed. On your belly, you will go. Have you ever seen any snakes that are upright and walking? I haven't, and I'm glad I haven't. I'm glad that they're down on the ground. You can see the image here with the snake on the ground. Well, we don't know if they were ever upright or not, but if you think about what the Lord said to the serpent, that is at least implying that they were upright, and now the punishment is they will no longer be upright, but now they'll have to crawl on their bellies for all time. That's what we see in the world today. And then the Lord spoke to Satan here and spoke of this particular future descendant of the woman. So I ask then, who is the future descendant? Well, we know it is talking about Jesus, the very Son of God, the one who in the fullness of time came forth from the Father. He put on human flesh. He is the very Son of God in human flesh. And then when he began his ministry, that's when he became the Messiah, the Christ, the Anointed One. Thinking about the image here, I did a little clip from the seminary logo, and you can see, of course, the cross, and you can see the Trinitarian symbol on top of the cross, but especially, though, note that the bottom of the cross is ready to come down on the head of the serpent and crush the serpent. That is really what God the Father was saying to Satan. He was saying, there is going to be a descendant of this woman, and when he comes, he is going to crush your head. He is going to destroy you, even though in the process, you are going to inflict much pain upon him. Think about the pain that Jesus endured as he was beaten, as he was crucified, as he hung there on the cross, and yet he did in the process destroy the work of the devil. And then I asked the question, who won? Remember on Good Friday, the battle is between Satan and Jesus, the very Son of God. Sometimes today we might hear a situation where maybe with big time wrestling, they're gonna have some kind of a smackdown event. So is that what that was on Good Friday? Some kind of a smackdown event? Well, no, not at all. This was the most brutal fight you can imagine to the death. And eternity is hanging in the balance for every man, woman, and child of all time. It was the biggest deal of all time. And then imagine if we were there and we looked on Calvary and we saw Jesus nailed to the cross and we saw how horrible he looked and we saw the great agony he was in. 
we would probably be thinking, look, he must be losing. Look at how he looks. Imagine how he feels. He must be losing. And then when he breathed his last, the devil must have thought, yes, I have won. And can you imagine even great celebration between Satan and all those evil angels who followed him and maybe even all the people who thought the devil is going to be the winner, let's side with him, forget about God. And the celebration maybe picked up there later on Good Friday and continued that evening and continued Saturday and continued early into Sunday until... God the Father raised his son from the dead and with flesh put back on, he descended into hell in order to proclaim that he, in fact, is the winner. Just like it said there in 1 John chapter 3, he did destroy the works of the devil. Well, how can we make application with this particular section? Let's understand that we have sin and we cannot fix it, let's understand how much God loves us and what he did to take away our sin through his son. And then I hope I've given you a little bit to whet your appetite on this booklet, and I hope you're going to continue in it day by day. It's only a little bit to read, a little bit to think about, a little bit to answer, a little bit to pray. And again, I encourage you to take that little bit of the Word of God and pray it back to God. Let me give you an example of that. Let's even think about day one. Let's jump back to day one. And this is the kind of prayer that I would pray in connection with the topic of creation. Dear Father in heaven, thank you for your holy word. Thank you you have made it so clear that you created, that you created a perfect world and you made the first people in your image and your likeness. Dear Father, we live in a world today where many doubt what your word says, but help me to always know that you are the creator. Help me never be pulled aside to believe in evolution. And I also pray for the many who do believe in such a thing that you would open their eyes to the truth and bring them to faith in Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. So a prayer like that. So you're simply taking the content of what you have there on that day and then praying it back to God, making application to yourself, making application to others. So I hope that you follow those four key things. So you're reading, you're thinking, you're answering, and you're praying. I think God will use those things to richly bless us. Now let's have our regular prayer as we conclude this sermon today. Dear Father in heaven, Like Adam and Eve, we have been deceived. We have at times doubted your word, and we at times have fallen into sin countless times. Therefore, we pray that you would keep showing us our great need for Jesus and that you would keep helping us in the days and weeks ahead to grow in our understanding of and our trust in Jesus, who is the Christ of Christmas. In his name we pray. Amen.